The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy Friday, one and all. We've made it through another week of debilitating boredom here on Fantasy NBA. Today, I am Dan Vespers. This is a HoopBall presentation. Shout out, by the way, to the guys over at HoopBall that have continued to put out content, even in these quiet and trying times. Check out at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter for all of the latest data, articles, news being put out. I believe the most recent piece was a profile on the New York Knicks. Off-season changes occurring in New York. Actually, the Chicago Bulls have had the most recent off-season change. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, our guy Steve Vitovich put together a Detroit Pistons breakdown. Uh, Zach Bedane, I feature on Blake Griffin. So we got a lot of stuff floating around over there. It's, it's, it's a hard time, but Items are occurring. We also have live shows every Wednesday and Saturday right now with some of the best of the best guys that just want to talk sports. Everything, of course, is free right now since there's no anything. There's no anything. No real, no fantasy sports. So you can come on down. We've got the YouTube chats rolling alongside those free shows. And that should be pretty fun for you guys because I know we're all a bit sports starved these days. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, although at this point I'm relatively certain that the bulk of you are longtime listeners. Maybe there are folks out there that are so damn bored that they're just like, I wonder if there's a fantasy NBA show I could listen to right now. And you're in luck <laughs> because there is, and it's this one. And I, you know, I don't know who's even listening to podcasts these days. It's there's a handful of us floating around out there. It's, it's a long, long run here with no sports. But hopefully there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. A few more weeks, maybe we'll get something, anything at all. Hell, I'll break down whatever sport is rolling. It'll be a fantasy whatever today. You can change the name of the show to fantasy whatever today. Or maybe you can just change it to whatever. New name of the show, whatever, a hoop ball presentation. Not much to talk about on the COVID front. Um, I know we've done a little bit of a uh, partial or full segment on that most days since the NBA shut down, but there's no real new uh, breaking information on that front, so why dig too deep into it? Largely, it just leaves us feeling somewhat empty and unsatisfied, so we'll kind of jump right over that with just the quick reminder that, again, for those of us that are... Now, over three weeks in full state lockdown, we should not be that far away from seeing a little bit of hope, a little bit of positivity. It sucks, by the way, to those of you that are just getting into it across the country, different places that put the lockdown in most recently. It really sucks. It's hard. But we amble our way through. And today, we amble our way into Sacramento, the last team in the Pacific Division in our what we're calling post-mortem season, but who knows if the season's fully over. We're just going to, for these purposes, assume that it is. Earlier this week, we covered the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors. In that order, that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday's shows. 
And today we'll do the Kings, and that'll roll us into the weekend. Move on to a new division starting next week. Fear not, we do still have shows, and they're not really scheduled. They're going to be kind of an at-some-point type of deal. Well, we'll break down overall the big-picture lessons learned from this season, which, admittedly, will kind of be incomplete because we didn't get the final five weeks of the regular season. We didn't get the silly season. We didn't figure out, you know, the weird out-of-nowhere rookies and G League guys that could pop up and win your fantasy league in you know, the last week of March. But I think we still have some pretty good ideas. And one of them was highlighted in with a, a big-time spotlight under the microscope, whatever metaphor you want, on Tuesday when we talked about the Clippers. I still think that my biggest lesson from this season is, and not that it, I mean, it was a lesson that we took into the year, applied, and saved us a lot of strife, is don't draft injured guys. It just changes everything. It makes life so much simpler because inevitably you're going to have guys hurt on your team. But anyway, we'll get into that when the timing is right. For now, let's talk Sacramento Kings. He says with complete and total seriousness, this is not a joke. This is not a no Kings allowed season. That's a franchise that underperformed significantly this year. I had the season win total under wager on them, which, by the way, strange little side plot. All of my potential winnings on season win totals bets, those are all going up in flames because those are almost definitely all going to get canceled. Even the teams that are already over their total, like the Raptors blew past their total already with basically 20 games left. Doesn't matter. That over, in the toilet. Oklahoma City, that one, they blew past their number in the toilet. Doesn't matter. What are they, one win away? 18 games left, underneath to go 2-16, uh, and 16, I think, to hit their number. Into the toilet. Hell was I talking about before, <laughs> before I got sidetracked by season win totals. Right, the Sacramento Kings. The Kings finished this whatever portion of the season 28-36, and 36, eight games under 500, the 11 seed in the Western Conference. They had been playing a little bit better, 7-3 in their last 10, 20-20 within the conference, which is impressive considering how tough the Western Conference is. There are multiple teams ahead of them in the standings that have far worse conference records. For instance, the Blazers are tied with the Kings, but are 10 games under 500 against the Western Conference. Kings are 20-20. and 20. Blazers beating up on the whack Eastern Conference. Kings having trouble playing up or down to the level of their competition regularly this year. Injuries played a role. You can certainly, you can certainly put some of it on that. Losing De'Aaron Fox for a long stretch, was a bigger deal than losing Marvin Bagley for effectively the entire season. Losing Rashawn Holmes was a kick in the nads for the Kings. So they had some, they had some pretty significant injuries that uh, dramatically impacted how the team was playing. But let's be honest, they weren't playing well at full strength even when they had some of those guys early in the year. It took some weird rejiggering here late in the season, moving Buddy Heald to the bench, kind of freeing up De'Aaron Fox. I think it, some of it had to do with De'Aaron Fox just getting healthy around that same time that opened him up a little bit, played a little bit better, and were, you know, more like a 500-ball club lately, last, say, four or five weeks or so. And that was kind of a win, 
given how things were falling apart at the seams for a while. But we're here to talk about the fantasy standpoint because, you know, as one of the few people I think that had the Kings under wager this year, and it was looking like a pretty good one, but again, we, we may never know at this point. Overall, that was a bet against Luke Walton. I felt pretty confident that Walton was going to come in and muck things up. He was going to try to put in some, I don't know what system, but he was going to try to change the way things were going. I also felt like a lot of the Kings' success last year was, and I mean this, well, I don't, no, I don't mean this with a ton of respect. It was a little bit gimmicky. You know, they were a get-it-and-go team that was trying to break speed records, breaking land speed records, and it took the rest of the league a long time to adjust to the way the Kings wanted to play. Well, league started to adjust. Kings slowed down a little bit. Some of it was by choice, but some of it was also the fact that teams were just preparing for them by having people back more often. Drop a few people back, don't crash the boards quite so hard, and suddenly the Kings, having to set into a little half court, they just weren't that good last season in the half court. They were bad down the stretch. They took a bad taste into the offseason, and I didn't feel like their offseason acquisitions outside of Rashawn Holmes really made all that much sense. They overpaid Harrison Barnes. They brought in Dwayne Dedman, who then immediately was traded, basically as soon as he was eligible to be moved. Nemanja Bialica is still around there. I mean, I just, it seemed, and maybe this is the plight of a team that's not in a major media market of you got to sort of go get the pieces that are willing to come to you. But none of it made sense, to me, at least. They brought in all these forwards and centers. And where were they all supposed to end up? Marvin Bagley was going to need playing time. It was almost a fortunate twist for the Kings that he almost didn't play this year. They fell nose first into playing Rashawn Holmes' big minutes, and he helped salvage an early part of the season for him. But whatever, Kings will Kings. Let's talk about their fantasy stuff. Best fantasy player on the Sacramento Kings this year was Rashawn Holmes. 13 points, 8 rebounds, a steal, 1.5 blocks on 65% from the field and 80% at the free throw line with just 1.3 turnovers per game. A brilliant performance. Number 32 on the season. After getting off, by the way, to kind of a slow start, that was the really amazing part, is that once he turned it on, he was a top 20 guy. What does this mean for next year? Now, he was a guy that uh, a lot of folks are calling the waiver wire pickup of the year, but we decided we didn't want him into that category because hoop ball, he was on the B-150. He was a guy that the B-150 had you drafting. So a lot of us here at Hoopball, we had Rashawn Holmes. We drafted him. I had him in a couple of spots, probably not as many as I should have because he didn't start the year. At the beginning of the season, he wasn't, he wasn't getting much playing time, and it looked like he was going to be staring down that same issue again. 17 minutes, 17 minutes, 15 minutes, his first three games. To me, that was kind of enough of a sample size to say, oh, all right, well, he's the backup center. Well, then everything fell apart. Marvin Bagley went down. And pretty much never came back. Rashawn Holmes started playing 30 minutes a night. He never looked back, and he was a dynamo. He clobbered. He played two games since returning from the two-month absence with his shoulder. Uh, what did it end up being? A separation. 
uh, in Portland and against Toronto. He played about, uh, give or take, about 37 minutes in a back-to-back. Played in both halves, but you knew they weren't going to ramp his minutes up quick, not in a back-to-back. And he was fine, but that, of course, brought his season average down just a little bit. In between there, if you remove the game where he got hurt, the two games coming back, and then the three games at the beginning of the year where he was coming off the bench, he was pretty much a top 20 asset. Top 25, if you want to go a little bit looser. With some really impressive games in there. 16 points, 10 rebounds, 4 blocks, 20 and 15 with a steal and 2 blocks. He was doing it all. What I don't know about Rashawn Holmes, and this this is the question that we always have going into fantasy draft season, whenever that might be next time around, is do people believe he's still going to see enough playing time next year if the Kings are healthy? Say Marvin Bagley is good to go next season, and the expectation I'm assuming will be that he is. Are they going to play Rashawn Holmes alongside Bagley? Will, will Marvin be the four? What does that do to Nemanja Bialica? Does he have to shift down? Does he lose playing time? Does one of those guys get wedged out? There's still Harrison Barnes, who they insist on playing at the three, although he really should at this point in his career be a power forward. And so they've got some minutes issues to sort out in Sacramento. But regardless, what you want to look for with Holmes is ADP. Where is he going? I think there's going to be enough question marks floating around his name that he might still be attainable at some sort of reasonable price. Like, you're not going to see him going in the, inside the top 50 if Marvin Bagley is around, even though Rashawn was so good. The beauty of Rashawn Holmes' game is he's great in the categories that we talk about on the podcast, the, the Dan Vespers forgotten four, steals, blocks, field goal, and free throw percent. If you win those four things in your Roto League, you're pretty much unstoppable, and they are very easy to win if you focus on them even a little bit. And Rashawn, good at all four. He's good at all four. And turnovers and rebounds. He's re- I mean, he's good at like six things. It's fantastic. He's really been fantastic. But he has a couple things working For us, a couple of notes on him working in favor of those of us that want to end up with him next year. One thing is, he didn't play the final two months of this season, but for those two games coming back, and he was uninspiring in a return from injury, as most players are. That's number one. Number two, he's still probably not at the top of the depth chart for the Kings, and so people are going to look at him, I think, and say, oh, well, is this guy even going to get 22 minutes coming off the bench? I would draft him inside the top 100, even thinking 20 to 22 minutes a game. That's how good he was in a more limited role. We just happened to see him get high 20s in minutes, and so that rocketed him from top 100 to top 30. I mean, you could take three, four, five minutes off of him, and he'll still be a top 50, top 70 guy. But again, what I don't know is how his hot run this year, how how impressive he was, what impact will that have next year on his draft position because it wasn't the most recent piece of data by game by per game rankings he ended up at number 32 by totals he was well behind that for a lot of teams they were forced to drop him I think the fact that he missed two months left a bad taste in people's mouths and we'll see if if he goes high or not 
Second highest ranked player on the Kings this year was Buddy Heald at number 66. He's been unilaterally panned this season for having what folks are calling a terrible year. And admittedly, it's been a down season for him, but it's not been even close to as bad as people would want, would expect you to think. He played in 64 games for the Kings, which is, I believe, all of them, at per game rank number 66. So roll that all together, and his totals rank is actually 38. He was on pace to be inside the top 40 by totals. Which I know you're like, okay, fine, Dan. Totals are great and all, but maybe it's not the best indicator. You have to you have to take it in tandem with the per game number because as we've talked about before, durability is now a statistical category. It's the 10th category. Can you actually play in all the games this year or close to all of them? And with Buddy Heald, the answer is yes. 20 points, five boards, three assists, a steal, and four three-pointers a game. Field goal percent was bad. You know, there's no there's no getting around that aspect of all of this. And, you know, season over season, this was a step back for him, even though the three-pointers went up because his efficiency came down. Last year, he shot 89% at the free throw line. This year, 86. Last year, he was at 46% from the field. This year, 43 on the exact same number of shots per game. So his scoring came down by a point. Defensive stats are never going to be all that high with, uh, for heel. The assists were up a little bit. Rebounds about the same. Turnovers up a tiny bit as well, kind of moving along with the assists. And certainly with uh, Buddy coming off the bench, opportunity to be the vocal point a little bit more when he's on the floor and get those two or three assists very quickly as opposed to playing mostly off ball and standing around when he was part of the starting unit. So there were kind of ups and downs. Minutes were down. And I think as you look to Buddy Heald for next year, even though he played pretty well off the bench, there's almost no way you can spend a top 40 pick on him eyeballing the fact that he was only playing 26-ish, maybe even a little bit less, minutes per game as a reserve. Yeah, he was chucking away. No number of shots per game only came down a little bit. But the opportunity... The opportunity to just go crazy in 35, 37 minutes, it's just not there. When your peak minutes played is 31. When you're a starter, yeah, I mean, you get up to 35, 36 if things are going great for you. Off the bench, it's damn hard to get that high. And for Buddy Heald, that's a negative. Overall, decent season. Slight disappointment on the fantasy depending on, you know, when you compare to where he was drafted, his ADP to his 66 per game ranking. But again, the durability makes up for some of that. Ah, yes, the next player on the chart, Nemanja Bielitsa and his voodoo doll. Still one of the weirdest stories in fantasy sports, Nemanja Bielitsa somehow remaining fantasy relevant for an entire season again. Last year, played 23 minutes a game, was fading hard when Marvin Bagley was healthy. And so maybe that's what happens again. Does Is he the guy that gets pushed out when Bagley comes back? Every time Bielitsa was right on the cusp of getting wedged out for minutes, someone else got hurt on the Sacramento Kings. First it was Bagley, then it was Rashawn, then it was Bagley again. Then Deadman got traded, and the guy that just was still there standing at the end of all of it Nemanja Bielitsa, quiet but relatively, you know, Shane Battier-like, well-rounded fantasy game. 12 points, 6.5 boards, almost 3 assists. 
a little less than a steal, about half a block, two three-pointers, 47.5% from the field, 82 at the foul line. He's just one of those guys that, I mean, he is the prototypical top 75 nine-cat guy. He is neither great nor bad in any category. He is either meh, okay, or all right in all of them. Slightly below average in points per game, slightly above average in threes, slightly above average in rebounds, almost right on average in assists, a little bit below in steals, a little bit below in blocks, actually directly on average in field goal percent, a little better in free throw, and a little bit more than that better in turnovers. His best statistical category uh, is three-pointers, turnovers is behind that, his worst is scoring. I mean, it's really, it's kind of remarkable. He is the definition of a league average fantasy asset. He's the guy when you're like, what's this two-for-one trade going to be? And you give up two second-rounders and you take a first-rounder back and you're like, how can I win this trade? Well, the answer is you plug Nemanja Bielitsa into the other spot. I mean, don't actually do that because you can get the average the fantasy average value for every statistical category and just use that number because that guy is going to be basically a top 75 asset. If you wanted to do the math, that's how you would do it. Uh, But for just for humor, for humor's purposes, that guy is Nemanja Bialica. League average in every statistical category this year from a fantasy standpoint would be Uh, About 15 points per game, about 1.4-ish three-pointers per game, Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about five rebounds per game. Make sure I'm getting this number right. A little bit over that. I think it's like 5.1 or something like that, like around 5.1 rebounds per game. Make sure I'm getting that number right. I might be off by a little bit in that one. It has to do with position on the floor as well. You know, you're, you're looking at what, like a guard that gets you five rebounds. That's a big deal. Uh, but yeah, it's near five. Uh, assists per game is somewhere in that 3.1, 3.2 range. Steals, uh, right around one. Almost right on one, actually. Blocks near 0.6, 0.7, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Field goal percent about 47.5. And free throw percent is uh, somewhere near 79-ish. So you plug those numbers in, and that's your other guy in a two-for-one trade. And that's basically (laughs) Nemanja Bialica. I'm not... I I had him on a couple of fantasy teams. I picked him up this year and just kept riding him because the voodoo doll never lost its magic, really. Uh, and I'll do the same thing next year, but I'm probably not drafting him because I still don't trust that he's really the guy they want to use there, and then every year someone just gets hurt and he's got to play 30 minutes. We're not going to talk about Jabari Parker. Technically, he would have been the fourth-highest-ranked king, but he did almost all of that damage in the first half of his season, so we'll jump over to De'Aaron Fox, who finished at number 91 after a much better final couple of months. Eh, final month. Let's trim it down a little bit. Last 10 to 15 games, he was a top 60 fantasy asset. Started to get things going the right way a little bit. Field goal percent was up. That was a big deal for him. Uh, Shot about 50%, I think, over the last month. 
20, he scored over 20 points per game. He started to take things over a little bit in a way that he hadn't for the entire season. But the thing with a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who's like a weird percentage flipped D'Angelo Russell, is he's going to get you points, he's going to get you assists, he's going to get you steals, but it's that same weird thing with point guards where we overlook some of the weird stuff. And with him, like D'Angelo Russell, he's not a good free throw shooting point guard. He's going to turn the ball over, and oddly, he doesn't shoot the three. He's not a terrible rebounder. He gets you four per game from the guard spot, which is not fantastic, but it's fine. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, and I didn't I didn't draft Dan, uh, Darren Fox anywhere this year, not because I was I, not because I didn't think he was going to be a good player was really, you guys know how hard I focus on winning the percentages and having a high volume point guard that's dragging down your free throw percent. It takes big men off the board in roto formats at least. If you draft Darren Fox, and one of your guards, usually the guys that are that are helping carry your free throw percent, the guys that are supposed to shoot 82-83% at the line, high volume 70, then you just you can't get a big man who's not good at free throw shooting. If you pile another one on top of De'Aaron Fox, you're going to be bad at foul shooting. So I, that's why I don't take guys like that is because he's bad at a category that his position on the floor shouldn't be bad at. And consequently, it removes players that are at a different position, forces you to some degree to look at big men who hit their free throws. But that's tough because some of the best defensive-minded big men are the guys that don't hit them. Clint Capella, Rudy Gobert, stuff like that, Uh, Andre Drummond. You want to have those guys on your board. And if you flip it, the inverse is... What if you take a Rudy Gobert or an Andre Drummond early in your draft? You've now eliminated De'Aaron Fox from your board. Because you can't pile on top of those guys' bad foul shooting with a guard that's not helping you. Is this something we think can get fixed? That's got to be the question as you look towards next year with De'Aaron Fox. Because we know he can hit his shots. We know he's going to be a good field goal percent point guard, which I like. He's going to get steals because he's blindingly fast. He's not going to hit three-pointers, but we can make up for that elsewhere. That doesn't bug me as much as the free throw thing because everybody's shooting threes these days. And his volume was as high as at any point in his career. He averaged 15.5 shots per game this season. Can that go up again next year? And can he go from being you know 11.5 points his, his freshman campaign Second year, he was at 17. This year, he was at 20. Can he make that next leap and get up to that 22, 23, 24 range? If you believe the answer is yes, and maybe the volume can overcome some of the free throw shooting issues that he poses, then maybe you take a look at him inside that top 60 range. But he's probably going to go in the 35 range next year. Here's one other argument in favor of De'Aaron Fox is that uh, his injury this season was a clunky one, but he played 81 games last year. So the expectation is that if something a little bit freakish doesn't happen, he's a tough kid. So you're hoping you're getting, you know, 95% of his team's games, and that might make up for some of the other shortcomings. Maybe he also gets better at the free throw line, but the evidence so far suggests that that might not be... What's about to happen? 
He was at 72% his first two years. He was at 70 this year. So actually took a step back, small step, sort of a within the margin of error kind of step back on a higher volume. What I wanted to see this year was that 72 becoming 75. If that happens next year, that's a big jump for him. High volume 75% hurts you a lot less than high volume 70. You can make up for high volume 75 with the, you know, a couple guys shooting 82%. You just just knock that out. Making up for a high volume 70, you need some 90%ers in there. Like damage doing 90%ers, like the gallows of the world. Danilo Gallinari, I should say, not, you know, the gallows. Horror flick. Um, other names on the Kings that were fantasy somewhat relevant, the fringy guys, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who, you know, you've heard me complain on this podcast for two years now that I don't like his fantasy game, and he had a hot stretch one time this year. Remember he had a hot stretch, and I started to eat the corner of my hat, and then he cooled off, and I was able to regurgitate the corner of my hat. Average 14.5 points per game, uh, 2.6 three-pointers, three boards, three assists, a steal, 43% at the field, 72.5 at the free-throw line. Um, he wasn't really good at anything this year. His three-pointer number at 2.6 was basically the only category where Bogdanovich was uh, more than a mediocre helper to your fantasy team. So to those of you that tried to call me out for hating on him when he was in his hot stretch, he still finished outside the top 120 on the year. Uh, and he missed 10 ball games. So it was sort of uh, meh. And the only way you see him moving into a, a, a big slotted role is if Buddy Heald is dispatched, which started to happen. Okay. Cause we don't want to write this off yet. It started to happen late in the year. Last three weeks of the season, Bogdan Bogdanovich was number 56 in fantasy sports. And his numbers weren't actually all that different than his career number or his, uh, his season numbers. It was really a, an unsustainably high steals mark of 1.5. And his free throw percent and field goal percent were both up. Field goal was at 45. Free throw was at 82. Question is, is any of that sustainable over an entire season? And the answer is maybe free throw percent. But it's also not entirely clear. Like, the question we need to be asking ourselves is if this guy gets a 30 minute per game role, is that enough? I would assume the free throw percent does come back. He's a career 80 percenter. So this year was well below his career mark field goal percent. He's been around 43. So that's probably not going anywhere. What you have to look for is, okay, if he plays 30 minutes, is he going to get an extra shot or two per game? And the answer is maybe we don't really know. He played 28 and a half minutes a game this year. So you add another less than 10% to that, maybe he takes one more shot and makes 43% of that one more shot. So you call that about 0.8 additional points, roughly. Then he's at 15.3 points per game. Does that really change his numbers on the year? If he's at 15.3 points per game, he's still in the realm of three to three and a half rebounds and three to three and a half assists. Maybe the steals go to 1.1. The three-pointers stay at 2.6. That's probably inside the top 100 if the free throw percent comes back. If Buddy Heald gets moved, you'll probably see Bogdan Bogdanovich get drafted in the 75 range and probably disappoint some people because his fantasy game is just not super friendly. He has what I refer to on this podcast as the prototypical shooting guard game. It's really hard 
to be a top-tier fantasy asset when you have the shooting guard fantasy line, which is largely contingent on scoring, three-pointers, free throw percent. If those are your three things, you need to be getting massive volume to be a good fantasy asset because you're going to hurt your team in rebounding, probably assists. You're not doing much on the defensive side. Some shooting guards do, but we're talking about the prototypical shooting guard stat set, which is like around 1.2 steals per 36 minutes and almost no blocks. And then you have to actually get to those 36 minutes. It's a different story altogether. There are so many guys like this that if you look in that 50 to 100 range or beyond, the shooting guard fantasy profile, look for those guys and you know tell me, tell me which of those guys is the one that you're super high on. It's hard. Who are some of the others out there that kind of fit that same profile? I would say someone like a Jeremy Lamb, but he actually gets more steals than the average shooting guard might. Luke Kennard has the shooting guard fantasy profile. These guys need big-time volume to get up and over that threshold. And we've got to talk about Marvin Bagley a little bit more. I know I mentioned him briefly earlier in the show and Harrison Barnes, and that'll be the two guys. Well, I guess we could touch on Kent Bazemore a little bit. Uh, Bazemore was playing his way into a better role in Sacramento, but to me, they're just sort of, even though I love Kent Bazemore and I'll try to pick him up any opportunities I have, the inconsistent playing time is always going to make things a little bit funky for him. He was, he was notably better the last, oh, I don't know, call it 10 to 15 games, but even still, he was sitting right around the edge of the top 100. At 12.6 boards, 1.4 steals, 1.23 pointers. So he was close, and he's an end-of-draft guy if, if the Kings retain his services. But, you know, by all accounts, he'll probably go try to find some other place to play. So we won't to worry too much about Bays. Harrison Barnes is the most boring player in all of fantasy sports. He finished at number 164 and never deserves to be drafted outside of really leagues that favor scoring and scoring alone, and then Marvin Bagley. So we, I wanted to just quickly hit on those other guys. Bagley's the one that I want to spend a minute or two on here at the end of the show. Played in 13 games this year, finished at number 160 in nine category leagues, 14.7.5 rebounds, a block, and little else. He's a big, big question mark. And he's a guy that our own Aaron Bruschi was very high on this year, with the assumption that he was actually going to stay healthy enough to make an impact. Looking at what Bagley did last year, and when I say last year, I mean the 2018-2019 season, when he was finally given the opportunity to go cut loose a little bit, he put up some pretty eye-popping fantasy lines, with the exception, of course, of a really bad free-throw shooting run. So we do have questions on Marvin. When he got bigger volume, when he was on the floor for longer minutes, the per-minute production in defensive stats came down a little bit. We saw that last year. Okay? He finished at number 150 last season. Uh, but if you look at the, the final, what do you want to say, basically like post-All-Star break, 
he was right around the top 100 at like 18 and 9 with a half a steal and a block. I think what you can assume here with Bagley is that that 1.5 combined steals and blocks is probably your target number there. And then a lot of his value is going to be tied up in points and rebounds. And what it really comes down to with a guy like Bagley is do we think he can make a significant improvement on his foul shooting? And this year, in a very limited sample size of only 13 games, he did. He shot 80 and a half percent. Can I believe what I've seen? I guess is the question, because everything else with Marvin was almost exactly the same. His field goal percent dipped, but I have to assume some of that was him just working into game shape a couple of times, and probably that levels off. But does the free throw percent also level off? Does that come back down towards 69% where he was his first year in the league? At a much higher volume, by the way. Shot 4.2 free throws a game last year and only 2.4 this season. Rebounds, assists, turnovers, steals, blocks, almost exactly the same year over year. Minutes per game was almost exactly the same year over year, but field goal percent was down, free throw percent was up. And the points came down ever so slightly. Presumably, if Bagley's healthy, they'll want him playing closer to 30 minutes per game. So if you just took his current per 36s and added another 20% to them... Then you're looking at a guy, instead of averaging 14 and 7.5, and you could throw another basically three points on that, so that'd be about 17 and 9 or so, which puts him damn close to where he was the final 15 to 20 games of last year. And that was right around the edge of the top 100 with a bad free throw percent. If the free throw percent comes up by 10%, he goes from top 100 to probably more like top 70, maybe better. If the free throw percent stays bad... For a guy who's not getting a truckload of defensive stats, it becomes pretty hard for him to make that leap into the uppermost echelon. So again, we'll know more when we know when their ADP on these guys comes out, whenever the hell that might be. But right now, if I had to guess, I would say he's probably still going to get overdrafted because he can score and rebound. And we gravitate to the guys that can collect big numbers in categories where you count numbers. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Lesson to be learned from the Sacramento Kings this year as you go through everything we just discussed on this ball club. It is, you never know. You never really know. There's no lesson about drafting injured players. These guys were healthy when the season started. There really isn't a lesson about trusting in a franchise to make the right decisions because they sort of had to fall into them. I think the overarching theme is don't ignore free throw percent on draft day. Some of the guys that went the highest on the Kings had a bad percentage, most of them free throw. Darren Fox, Marvin Bagley, both bad foul shooters last year. Bagley a little bit better again this season. Buddy Heald, not a good field goal percent guy. Coming off a big year, could he back it up? Not really. So a lot of underperforming on the Sacramento Kings this season. Uh, there isn't the ultra clear lesson like with the Clippers where we talk about don't draft an injured guy. With the Kings, I think a lot of it is really, you know, have your expectations, understand what coaching staffs might do to a team. Perhaps that's the lesson to take away. Understand a coaching staff. Don't ignore certain categories just because you want to. And what his coaching staff does to pace, that has to be the other part of the puzzle here. 
Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Please do continue to stay safe. Stay home. If you go out, be even safer out there. Occupy your brain. The longer you can not think about the rather brutal things going on, the longer you will remain healthy. Stress is the worst of it right now. And I know you guys are feeling it because we all have done it where you get stressed out and that makes your chest feel tight and then you assume you have it. Deep breaths. Have some tea. Have a beer. I don't know. Whatever it takes for you guys. Bruise into meditating. Meditating just stresses me out. <laughs> I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, back on Monday, we'll break into the next division. Where should we go? What do you think, guys? Northwest? I don't know. You'll have to tune in and find out. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.